paisanos, it's Foreign Invader with Conrado Falco the Third. With the Mario Brothers and plumbing's a game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. If your sink is in trouble, you can call us on the double. We're faster than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Welcome to Foreign Invader. My name is Conrado Falco III, and this is the podcast about the pop culture that is corrupting American life. Every episode, we take a piece of culture that originated in not the United States of America and talk about its impact on our country and our lives. I want to start this episode by once again thanking Francisco Mendoza for coming on the show last week and talking about Brazilian superstar Carmen Miranda. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend it. Um, her story is really fascinating. Today, we are talking about something completely different. We're going into the world of video games to talk about the most famous video game character of them all, Mario. And here to talk about it, we have a very special guest. He is a writer and performer for the sketch comedy show R Bar. He's also the host of the wonderful podcast Robots vs. Dinosaurs, in which he talks about movies that featured, you guessed it, robots or dinosaurs. I've been a guest on the show. We talked about Steven Spielberg's masterpiece, AI, Artificial Intelligence. It was a great conversation, and I'm so happy to have him on the show today. It's Louis Gaudio. Hey, Lou. Hey, Conrado. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. I'm very excited to talk to you about um, the famous mustachioed plumber that we all love. You're talking about Mario Mario? Exactly. Mario Mario. Oh, boy. I, I feel like we have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot, there's a lot to <laughs> unpack about this man's life and career. <laughs> Before we get into Mario, though, I'd like to start uh, by asking the guests where they're from and where they grew up. Uh, of course, uh, I am from New York. Um, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm not. I guess I live in New York. I live in Queens, Astoria, Queens, and I consider myself a New Yorker. That might be a controversial statement because I wasn't born in New York. I'm not born and bred on these streets, as they say. But, um, but I did beat a tourist once. Or I'm sorry, I did beat a local once in giving subway directions to a tourist. My my subway directions were more accurate than the local, so I think since that moment I can officially call myself a New Yorker. Um, but <laughs> I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I think that's the test, right? Well, the one could argue that people like me and you who moved into New York and had to figure out this the subway would give better directions than someone who's been living here their whole lives and don't like think twice about anything. <laughs> that's fair. Like an immigrant has a better chance of passing uh, a basic U.S. history test than like a 40 year old exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly uh so I'm, I'm from connecticut i'm from um i was born in new haven connecticut it's saint rayfield's hospital in new haven and most of my life i lived in uh new haven is a is a city in connecticut famous for yale and also honestly the uh, this might revoke my new york status but new haven might have the best pizza in the country <laughs> oh wow we have talked about pizza in this podcast before mm -hmm. um, and about this this New York pizza thing. Um, so tell me more, please, because I 
I'm also I'm a New Yorker like you, but also not born here. Obviously, I'm an immigrant, but um, you know, New Yorkers are obsessed with their pizza, and to be honest, I feel like it's it's fine. Oh no, that's controversial, Conrad. I wouldn't say it's fine. Fine, fine is. Uh, uh, Chicago pizza is fine. Like pizza in Cali- California Pizza Kitchen is fine. New York pizza. Okay, now we're alienating the whole country. <laughs> Let's keep going. Absolutely, because New York shit about everyone's pizza. New York, pe- New York pizza would be number one if New Haven wasn't like the little the little under unknown underdog that exists in in, in like a little pocket off offshoot of New York <laughs> called New Haven. It's. Uh, it's just, man, I don't know. There's like this place called Modern and uh, this other place called Peppy's that are so old and they're brick ovens. You would believe if they told you that their brick ovens are the same ones that were built like when they, when their great-grandparents opened it up. And like literally every pizza has been cooked in the same oven. So every pizza that's brought to the table carries the soul of its, ans- its pizza ancestors <laughs> from the past hundred years. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're eating the ash of uh, hundreds of Italians who walked through. <laughs> it's baked into the crust. It's a it's a pizza oven, but also where they, um, you know, cremate their their elderly. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. Yeah, every, every every Italian kid dreams of the day <laughs> they'll become one with the pizza he... oven. Oh, boy. oh, that is oof. That is yeah. Um, I just wanted to set the record straight and say that I've had incredible delicious pizza in new york city okay um i just think that there's a lot of bad pizza in new york as well yes there's so much pizza and 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 here's the other thing i think restaurateurs or people that will come to new york just to open a restaurant or business people will capitalize on the reputation of new york and open a mediocre papa john's or some other like offshoot uh kind of place and and call it new york pizza and mm. you know it diminishes the claim over time but when you get when so i'm going to shout out vidali's in my neighborhood vidali's pizza when you get like a slice of authentic new york pizza and you could tell like some love and uh and, and italian ancestors went into it mm-hmm. <laughs> um you could take you could really taste the difference yes uh lou i don't think that you would call this exactly like the classic new york pizza but it's so great best pizza shop um since you are the Astoria guy um you gotta try this pizza sometime it's really delicious uh, what's it called best pizza shop oh it's just called best yeah well they know what they're doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so they, they they didn't they didn't name themselves they earned that name yeah exactly <laughs> best. I'm, gonna, um, I'm gonna look that up for later yeah definitely it's delicious pizza Something that I love to do on this show is to bunk and analyze stereotypes about different countries and places, cities. I think we all know kind of what the New York stereotypes are, but are there any stereotypes about New Haven or Connecticut that you can share with us? Um, well, I'd say the, like, the one stereotype that, that I can think of is everyone is Italian. <laughs> And it's true, like, and I might just be saying that because I'm Italian, but man, like, I was looking through my yearbook recently, and it, it just the the number of vowels and syllables in these last names, it's just <laughs> so much. Um, so uh, yeah, that's one stereotype. I don't know, man. I'm I'm 
I'm a little biased against Connecticut in general and uh, New Haven. I did just, just, did just call them out and praise them for their pizza. But other than that, there's a reason that I consider myself a New Yorker, not a, <laughs> not a Connecticuter. How do you call someone who's from Connecticut? I think legit, I, I think it's Connecticutians. Connecticutian. Or something bad like that. It's real bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. I didn't know New Haven was this kind of like, um, like you said, like the secret Italian enclave. We hear a lot about New York Italians and New Jersey Italians, but I guess it makes sense because it's pretty close. Yeah. And again, I think it might just be a stereotype that exists in my mind because I'm from an Italian family and a really big like Italian family that, that lives in a lot of different, um, a lot of different towns in Connecticut, but one of, one of them mm. being New Haven. So I just know so many Italian people but it's also like I said like my my high school like all the kids that I knew growing up were very largely Italian <laughs> what would you say was the most American thing about your childhood um I think the most American thing about my childhood was probably like probably Nintendo weirdly which is not american oh perfect but, <laughs> but i was a huge nintendo junkie as a kid i was very much into i was very much into pop culture and uh like i took i took saturday morning cartoons and like video game stories and lessons like very very literally and very to heart and i can like i can say to this day optimus prime is my moral compass when I when I think about <laughs> like whether something is right or wrong, I think about what would opt how would Optimus Prime judge this situation? Is that because do I, am I remembering correctly that the Transformers uh, TV show had like these little segments where they gave you like moral lessons at the end or something like that? No, I'm making that up. GI Joe kind of did that. GI Joe, that's what I'm thinking. And GI Joe was is very much hand in hand, uh, a very close property to Transformers in a lot of ways. G.I. Joe did the more you know, or not the more you know, um, uh, now you know and knowing is half the battle at the end of every mm. episode. And it would, mm. it would always be something about like bullying is bad or uh, you shouldn't do drugs or avoid active power lines when you see them laying across the, the ground. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah, but I was really into um, Nintendo specifically because it was kind of this this equalizer. Like... If you if if you had a Nintendo and you had certain games and your friend didn't have those games like that like that was like a whole activity was bringing over your game library to your friend's house and you know you'd borrow some of the games that you don't have or they don't have um, just trade or uh, like mm. so whenever a game was two player um, that was just a like the main fun thing that I like to do as a kid with other people was hook up a Nintendo system to a TV with two controllers and play Tetris or play Mario Brothers or play, you know, whatever whatever two-player game they had. Yeah, that's great. That's, um, I never thought of it that way because, I, you know, I, I would have expected that, you know, the person who has the most games would be like, oh, I have the games and you don't have them. But I think you're right. My experience with video games has always been kind of like playing together, at least when I was younger and and wanting to share the games and be like you know maybe you will boast that you're better than than the other kids at mario kart or whatever but you still want to play with someone else the fun is in playing together 
Nintendo's always been big on that. They they were they introduced the whole concept of like linking your game systems together with the Game Boy when and when they introduced Pokemon, that was huge for getting people to to play the game together in a way or like it, you could still play it mostly on your own, but there were certain things you had to interact with other people to trade for. Um, the other big thing is Nintendo was really stubborn about this, but I think it was one of the best marketing moves they ever made. When the Nintendo 64 came out in the late 90s, it had four controller ports mm. and a lot of other, the the bigger, like Sony and, and Sega, they were moving more towards, well, we're trying to encourage people to play games on online against each other. And at most, you only need two controller ports for like two people sitting in the same room. But Nintendo was like, no, four, we want four player games. We want multiplayer games with people literally on the same couch together. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I just think that was, it's an understated thing that Nintendo sort of clung to for such a long time. And they're still kind of designing games in that way, where even though they have embraced being online more, they're still about like, our games are designed to bring people together, to encourage people to play them together. Do the Mario! Swing your arms from side to side. Come on, it's time to go. Do the Mario. Take one step and then again. Let's do the Mario all together now. You got it. It's the Mario. Do the Mario. Swing your arms from side to side. Come on, it's time to go. We're talking about Nintendo already, so I think it's perfect to just go into, to hop into the, you know, what was I going to say, to hop into the sewer and go down into the underground and <laughs> eat some mushrooms and, and fire flowers. Yeah. Um, so tell me, Lou, how does an all-American boy such as yourself first encounter this Italian plumber who stars in Japanese video games? Uh, yeah, actually, I can tell you it's because I had older siblings. And I remember we, um, up until I was maybe three or four, my whole family lived with my grandma uh, in, in Guilford, Connecticut. And there was this one room in the house with a, with a small TV and an, an NES, original NES, hooked up to it. And my, my older brother and older sister would play Super Mario Brothers together on it. And I would usually have to just sit and watch them play. But uh, but like the the moment it was my turn and I had the controller in my hand, my entire goal was to be better than my older brother and sister. And so I started I remember I started like waiting until they would were doing other things or like if I could sneak into, into this room of my grandma's house when everybody else was asleep, I would practice Mario Brothers so that the next time I was playing with my brother and sister, they would be impressed with how amazing their stupid little brother was at this game. Um, so it sort of became a way for me to, to like have something as a little, literally little kid. I couldn't be bigger or stronger or faster than them, but this was something I could, I could use my intellect. I could be more dedicated to it and just use the like certain skills that only i had to be better than my older brother and sister (laughs) who were years older than me did they ever do that thing to you of like uh giving you a controller that's not plugged in and telling you that it is plugged in and you're playing yes my brother specifically 
uh, he tricked me into believing that that thing that people sort of naturally do, where if you move the controller, he'll, it'll make Mario jump higher or, or faster. And so right. I would start doing that, and he would just laugh at me about it. But I, I specifically remember him telling me uh, when we were playing one time <laughs> that if I if there's a certain uh, pit in the first level of the game that you're supposed to just jump over, but there's a certain square that if you drop directly into that square, it's not the first square or the third one. Like you have to drop, you have to be very exact with your jump and where you drop down into the pit. But if you do it right and you get the exact right spot, you get like a hundred extra lives. Mm-hmm, right. So every time he would play his turn and just jump right over the pit and continue and get as far as he can. And I would, it would be my turn, and I would play about five seconds, jump into the pit, and you'd be like, you were close. You almost got it that time. You almost did Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, kids. Yeah. Video game kids. <laughs> this, was, this was me with all my older cousins, but, you know, I can definitely relate. Okay, so let's talk about Mario himself. Mario, the man, the legend. Um, he appears for the first time in the video game Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. and this was a arcade game. Did you play a lot of Donkey Kong as a kid? I don't think I saw a Donkey Kong machine like in an arcade until I was probably like seven or eight years old. Um, I do remember we had we had some version of Donkey Kong. I think when they released it for the NES system, like we got that version mm-hmm. of it. But I definitely was not into Donkey Kong before Mario. I didn't even know Donkey Kong existed before. I played Mario Brothers. Right. Yeah, I was uh, the first time that I learned that Mario first appeared in a video game called Donkey Kong, I was a little bit surprised. Um, but basically the idea is that Mario is the you play as Mario and you got to save the princess from Donkey Kong who's throwing like barrels at you and you have to like jump and evade the barrels and eventually get to Donkey Kong or something. You actually play as Jumpman in that game, not as Mario. Great, great um because let's get into the details of, of this. Apparently, I read that this was they originally wanted to make a video game of Popeye, which did a they did eventually do that. But so Donkey Kong would be Bluto and pa- Popeye would be Mario. But then they couldn't get the rights at that time, so they just made a random mustache person. And what's really great to, to me is that it's kind of a coincidence you know the fact that he has a mustache is just because it's pixels so you gotta give him something so that you can see that it's a face the fact that he's wearing overalls is so that you can see that he has arms so you know the limitations of the technology at the time ended up creating this character who is kind of like it is weird that the most famous video game character is a you know plumber with a mustache like a stocky plumber <laughs> but it's something that's great about history, I think. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. So Donkey Kong was a success. Then they made more arcade games with, you know, Jumpman, and then eventually they named him Mario. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the game Mario Bros is the one that establishes the existence of Luigi and the plumbing. Mm-hmm. I think before then they considered Mario to be a carpenter. Yes, and there was a game that was released in 1985 along along with the Super Mario Brothers game called Wrecking Crew, where you're Mario and Luigi, and you're sort of demolishing, like you're putting 
you're, you have like a hammer and you're breaking down struts to demolish a building level by level. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, 1985, that's a, a big year for Mario. That's when Super Mario Bros. comes out, which is, I think, the first one, the video game that you mentioned playing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the video game that probably gives us most of the Mario iconography that we associate today. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, this is a weird analogy, but bear with me. In uh, like 2008, when the when Marvel Studios released The Incredible Hulk and also Iron Man, and Iron Man did a lot better. Um, and the tone of those two movies are very, very different. But because Iron Man was more well-received, that set the tone for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mario, so the reason that's the reason I bring up Wrecking Crew is Wrecking Crew is a game I didn't, I definitely didn't have it. I didn't even know about it until I was probably in my 20s. And I went back and found out if it, it came out the same time as the Super Mario Brothers game, but nobody played it or liked it, really. I mean, it it has some uh, ongoing influence on certain things, but like it's not talked about at all. I've never, I had never heard of it until researching for this. So yeah, like you said, most of the Mario things we know and love now came from the Super Mario Brothers uh, game. Yeah, and what are those things? I guess the... You know, the classic kind of you start in a world that has like blue sky and you get a walk and then jump on these turtles and the little minions. Um, You jump up to get coins. You can get a mushroom that makes you bigger and gives you extra life. Mm -hmm. You can get a green mushroom that gives you an extra life itself. You can get the flower that throws little fireballs. And then you go into the into these like sewer kind of thingies that bring you into different levels like underground all of that stuff is in that game right yeah not only that the flag at the end of the stage that that indicates you've done you've done it you've accomplished this small goal there's still a bigger goal but mm-hmm. it that feeling of accomplishment and it's such good game design it, it's just i've spent a few minutes playing this far and it, the game is rewarding me in some way the victory music the fireworks uh, extra points up on the scoreboard, but I still got a job to do, and it keeps reminding me of that. <laughs> you gotta keep going. This is, I think, this is the classic. Like you go into the castle, you beat the, you know, one of the Koopas, and then the the Toad comes along and tells you, "Sorry, Mario, you're prince in another castle. You gotta keep going." Yep. And yeah, and eventually you do face off um, King Koopa or Bowser, and save the princes yeah because that's another that's a thing that like it's it's one of the tropes of the mario universe that is carried on is that the way it's like bite-sized but big at the same time and every game also has this sort of collection of different worlds that you're going through like the ice world the water world the desert world you know like that kind of variety of locales is a Mm -hmm. a thing that has endured since that first game yeah and um, I guess, you know, I wasn't there at the time. Um, I was born in the early 90s. So but my impression is that Mario was huge back then. Am I right? Like, was there Mario fever? Totally. Yeah. Mario. Mario debuted in 1981. I, 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 I debuted in 1983 uh, in, oh, great. <laughs> in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, yeah, there was like I said, Mario was a huge just thing that I would see looking around as a kid. But then once I started 
knowing who Mario was and wanting Mario to be more, more a part of my life, I got into everything. And I remember adults getting me all kinds of Mario pajamas, uh, coloring books, um, all of these like activity books starring Mario and Luigi. And there were McDonald's toys that were really cool. Uh, that would like yeah. do you press down on them and then they do a backflip and stuff like that. Um, yeah, there was Mario everywhere. There was this movie, uh, The Wizard, that came out in I think the late eighties. It was eighty nine, but so I would have been six that at the time. That movie, the the big reveal in that movie, spoilers for The Wizard, is Mario <laughs> Brothers 3 has just been released from Japan and it's um, and everybody lost their minds. I went to see this movie in the theater just because it would be my first glimpse of Mario Brothers 3. I insisted on my parents taking me. I didn't care about the movie. I couldn't even remember the plot of the movie. But I insisted on going to see this movie just because part of the third act shows your first glimpses ever of Mario Brothers 3. That's crazy. What was it about Mario that made him on the games so popular? You know, like thinking of the games at the time, can you think of what would have made these games in particular the biggest ones? Yeah, you mentioned that Popeye game. And uh, funny enough, I we had that game. I played, I've played that game. Um, it is, it feels like a bad version of Donkey Kong, like having played Donkey Kong as well. And comparing the two, there's also, there's games like um, Battletoads and Sonic the Hedgehog, Pitfall. Pitfall is a big one. Pitfall is this game that's like an OG platforming game. It's literally you're running through a jungle and jumping over pits or jumping on vines and avoiding snakes and other <laughs> evil jungle creatures. Um But what it comes down to, what what distinguishes Mario for me is the controls themselves. And and that really can't be overstated. It's like the the feeling of when you press the button and um and the how high Mario jumps, the way the response feels to you with the controller in your hands. Um I've I'm sure that you've played other platform games that are not Mario. And it's hard to put your finger on what is the difference? Why is that? Why is this less fun? Or why am I not enjoying this as much as Mario? And yeah, the charm of the character is really great. It's something they've leaned into. They've really emphasized the coveralls and the mustache and the big nose and the accent and all the things that make him fun. But it really comes down to how tight and responsive the controls mm. were in that early game and how that's something that they've never um, they've never skimped on. They've never that's never been an afterthought in any of the subsequent games that they've made with Mario. That's a great point. The technical aspect of it is very important. I think as well, the fact that it's such a, it seems like a, it's a game that's complicated enough to be engaging for, you know, older kids, but it's also accessible enough to be easy to follow and play for younger kids. I mean, I, when I first played Mario, my video game was in English. I, and I didn't speak English at the time, mm. but I could just play it and follow it because I the the gameplay was easy enough. You just have to jump. You know who's gonna kill you, and by trying to do this stuff, you will get through. You know, like something like Legend of Zelda was too complicated sometimes for me, especially because I didn't understand what some of the characters were telling me. Um, 
but mm. Mario was very easy to play, and I think that might have played a role as well. Yeah, have you played the game Dark Souls or Demon Souls? No, what is it? It's a it's a more modern game. It's um, you're kind of just walking around this medieval setting, and there's these like zombie creatures that stand up and like fight you, and it the 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 game is very, is notoriously hard. It's really really hard to get through it, but you can sort of choose whatever sort of medieval weaponry you want, like a big axe or a sword and shield or two swords. But your your play style, your fighting style is very, very precise and mapped to the buttons very precisely. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of game where it, you can get killed easily by a low-level enemy that you encounter just because you weren't paying enough attention and 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 pressing the buttons at the right time. But if you get into the rhythm of it and you're very and you get good at it, you can almost become unstoppable without ever leveling up your character. Mm. Just because the game arguably gives you all the tools you need right at the beginning. Mm. Right? And there are power-ups you can get and there are things you can get as a backup, but you don't need them. You as long as you're skilled enough, every time you get to another like another level or another part of the game, it's because you accomplished it. You got a little bit better at playing and so you got a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. Mario has that sort of reward system built into it every Mario game where you don't need to level up you don't need the mushroom to get bigger it helps if you get it but every time you die in that game every time a Goomba hits you or you get hit by a Koopa shell or something and you get taken out you don't feel like oh that was cheap that was unfair it's like ah I didn't I missed that I my reaction wasn't fast Mm -hmm. enough I can do better next time I can do better. I can try that same exact thing and do better. I will do better next time. Yeah, yeah. That's that's actually a great point about you know, and it encourages you to keep trying and keep practicing like you did when you were a kid and snuck into the room at midnight. Um, Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. So, by the late eighties and early nineties, Mario is a superstar basically, and he gets his own TV show and his own movie. (laughs) Um, so the Super Mario Super Show, I don't think they showed it very often <laughs> down in South America because um, I I remember having seen it, but I think maybe it was shown at random times or there wasn't enough advertising that I didn't know when it was on. So I remember I had seen it a couple of times. I caught it, caught it, but then but I don't remember so much of it. I watched a little bit of it to prepare for this. Half of this thing is a sitcom. Half of this thing is, uh, which I didn't know. I remember the animated characters, but I didn't remember it was, you know, these dudes dressed as Mario and Luigi, like having trouble in their apartment. Yes. Well, you know, uh, Sesame Street was big at the time. And that for a, we in a weird way, like that's what I would, that's what, where my brain connects it to is Sesame Street, because it's like you have these people dressed in these ridiculous outfits and like in this weird, weird world and it's really just actors walking around these sets that they've built, and and it's it, yeah, you're right. It's like half of of a, a of a, a sitcom or like a sketch show almost. Mm-hmm. They get into these wacky, kooky situations, and you know the, there's the a plot of the cartoon that they're introducing each time, but there's also uh, you know something that they've got to resolve by the end of. Uh, by by the time the cartoon ends, because mm-hmm. they're they have to deal with this problem in the real world, the quote unquote real world as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so bizarre. And uh, we have to say, Mario in the show is played by uh, Captain Lou Albano, who was a 
wrestler a pro wrestler and he does a pretty good job in my opinion i mean you know there's some stuff that looks a little ridiculous now um the man is not a singer but they make him sing a lot (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure if he's a dancer either but they they have him teach you a dance at the end of every episode (laughs) yeah exactly he (laughs) and in the opening they have him dancing (laughs) to this hip-hop song and and the man bless his soul he is not a hip-hop dancer um (laughs) but he does a pretty good job being like you know this kind of italian brooklyn guy as mario I absolutely found out doing research for this that there was this British show that I don't remember what it was called, but it's basically a game show type of thing where kids would come on and play Mario uh, on the TV and then win prizes. And the guy hosting the show is dressed as Mario, but it's this lanky British guy who's making no effort to be Mario. He's just talking with his posh British accent saying, oh, what did you do? do? And it's there's no magic there. It's just some random dude with a mustache and a hat. But captain lobano he put in the work he did captain lobano was perfect they should it sounds like that lanky british guy they should have leaned into him being luigi yeah exactly you gotta get you need to get a stocky um gruff looking guy to play mario a bob hoskins type you might say (laughs) yeah exactly so when you do the hollywood movie version of super mario bros you get bob hoskins honestly they must have gone to Danny DeVito first, right? Oh God, they must have. Yeah, it, it would have. And my, you know what, it would have been perfect if is if they got both of them, and it was like Danny DeVito for part of the movie, and then he eats a mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> it turns into Bob Hoskins. Now, now you have a movie. Oh um, God, we need. Yeah, we. I need. I need to. We need to write this script, Conrad. There's still time. <laughs> uh, then we got invented Tamish and go back to the early 90s because uh, to, to get those yeah. two involved. Oh, yeah. Bob Hoskins is no longer with us, is he? Yeah, sadly. Ah. But he was a great actor. And this movie, however, was known for being a flop and a bad movie. When I was a kid, I nobody talked about it until I found it randomly at Blockbuster on the bottom shelf. Blockbuster video. I was just perusing the kid section and I saw Super Mario Bros. the movie and I was like... Honestly, I was a little bit incensed that nobody had told me about this. I was like, how did no one tell me there was a Super Mario movie? Then I watched it, and I realized, oh, this is not like the game at all. And then you realize that people didn't tell you about it because they were trying to protect you, Conrado. I guess so. I mean, I feel like as a kid, I wouldn't have minded as much. But um, actually, that's not true. I did feel a little bit of disconnect, disappointment that the movie was not like the books. Um, What was your experience? Were you looking forward to it when it came out? Yes, this movie came out in 1993, and that was the that that I that had to be when I was at the height of, I was 10 years old in 1993, so like that was a full five years of me being conscious that I'm consuming pop culture and video game culture and. And, like, sort of pivoting to, like, anticipating things when they're going to come out and knowing the release dates of things and being excited about them um, and and being into very specific fandoms and things like that, you know? So, yeah, when the Super Mario World game for the, for the Super Nintendo, I don't remember what year that came out, but I feel like it was early 90s. And I feel like that alone uh, hyped me up for the Super Mario Brothers movie. And 
I mentioned the the Wizard came out in '89, and I had to go see that movie because Mario Brothers Three, the video game, was featured in a couple of minutes of it. Right. Um, knowing that there was this was a whole Super Mario Brothers movie, and for some reason, I liked. I already liked John Leguizamo for some reason at, the, at, at 10 years old. I was like, and John Leguizamo's in it. <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you why, but I, that, was a, that was a big selling point for me. It was just the fact that he was in it. And yeah, I, I, minute by minute sitting in the theater, I kept getting angrier. It might be the first time a movie made me angry oh, wow. for what I was expecting versus what I got. Yeah. <laughs> yes. However... Looking at it as an adult and not caring anymore about whether or not this is a loyal adaptation <laughs> of the video game. Um, the movie's not good, but it is crazy. It yeah. is absolutely insane. Just of opening moments, there's a, a narrator guy who's like, what if millions of years ago the dinosaurs didn't die, but there was an alternate universe in which dinosaurs survived and they evolved to become human. <laughs> So Dennis Hopper, looking like himself, but with a weird hairdo, is supposed to be some sort of dinosaur. And he is King Koopa, uh, and uh. he's the villain. Mario is played by British actor Bob Hoskins. Luigi is played by a Colombian-American actor, John Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> they are called the Super Mario Brothers, but they are not really brothers. <laughs> Apparently Mario just like... <laughs> race luigi they're also not super they're <laughs> they don't get magical powers at any point no they don't they don't um but but this movie you have to see it to to, to believe it there's like number one it's one of those movies where the villain's plan is to turn everybody into a monkey which is always great screenwriting <sighs> yeah you know that and looney tunes back in action does the same thing another great movie oh i didn't know that and now now i now i know i need to watch that movie yeah, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yeah, do you have a... Have you seen this as an adult? Yeah, and you're forgetting that it's also a... Um, the movie's also educational, because it teaches us about evolution, and... And about de-evolution. <laughs> and de-evolution, because when we get de-evolved, we turn into mushrooms, because apparently <laughs> that's... Fungus is what we evolved from. <laughs> because the screenwriters heard that mushrooms were involved somehow in the Mario video games, and they were like, let's put some fungus in here. That's pretty, that's gotta be it. Because, like, is it like a setting on Bowser's gun? Because he has a gun, right? That he he points at you, he pulls the trigger, and you devolve mm -hmm. from a human into a monkey or from a dinosaur into a uh, other dinosaur. <laughs> Or, <laughs> or into fungus. If they or set into it, fungus. If they set it to really high, you've become a fungus. So it's, I mean, it's literally a setting on the gun. Like he turns a dial, or is it like a Star Trek thing? Like set, set, <laughs> set de-evolution gun to fungus. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to lie and pretend that I wasn't checking my phone a little bit while watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, but that's the weird, that, that's the thing I'm calling out is it's all technology in the movie. Like the, even when they do the fire flower or the ba-bomb or, um, the boots, like the high jumping, it's all boots. It's all a gun that shoots fire. The mm. bomb is a little wind-up toy. That was, weirdly enough, one of the biggest disappointments of the movie is that they don't eat a flower or touch a flower, and then, boom, their clothes magically change, and they can literally mm -hmm. launch fireballs from their finger. That's the level of realism I was looking for, Conrado, <laughs> and I right. didn't get it. 
Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that is really good about the movie, uh, unironically, is the puppet that they have to play Yoshi, the dinosaur, which looks really great and is a great puppet and a great character. That being said, he's way too small, so they're, you know from the moment he appears that they're not going to ride Yoshi. And, you know, so these people have clearly not watched, don't know what is appealing about the video game. Like, because it would be incredible to see Mario riding a freaking dinosaur in the big screen. Yep. It, that that puppet, it was good. I'm pretty sure it was uh, like the same puppet, one of the one of the puppets from Jurassic Park. Uh, it reminded me very much of the the baby T Rex from the Lost World mm. uh, movie that came out a few years later. So like, I do think they they were somehow able to borrow uh, props or special effects things from ILM or from uh, Spielberg in some way. Mm-hmm. But man. Yeah, that was a huge disappointment. The um, I heard that you because you mentioned like maybe these screenwriters just heard that that mushrooms are somehow involved <laughs> with with uh, Mario Brothers and they should mention them in some way. I heard that Bob Hoskins was in this movie filming scenes for like two or three weeks. And then one of his kids was telling him, oh, I'm so excited you're in the Mario Brothers movie because that's like a game that I like. And at that point, he was like, oh, this movie is based off a game. (laughs) Apparently, Bob Hoskins didn't even know this movie. He was he just thought he just read this script. It was like, oh, yeah, Dino's Dino Hatton. Uh, the Scapelli Construction Company is the villains. Um, Sure. This all coheres together. Listen, Bob Hoskins was coming off of an Oscar nomination that got him Roger Rabbit. <laughs> this was the five years in his career where he could get a big paycheck for playing Mario. He was going to take it. You know, the studio comes, tells you, you're going to be an Italian plumber. You're going to get like millions of dollars for doing this. He'd be like, sure. You know, where else am I going to do it? I'm already middle-aged. I got to get those paychecks now. <laughs> yeah, I just love that he's so dedicated to his craft. <laughs> That he's just like, I, I will play this character, not even knowing what the character is based on. He's just like, I will be an Italian plumber. Yeah. Do you think he, he did a lot of like preparation method stuff? Like, did he go Daniel Day-Lewis style? He worked as a plumber in Brooklyn for like years preparing for the role. Yeah. And then I, I wonder if like once he found out that it was a video game, I wonder how many hours he put into into playing the game. I don't <laughs> think very game. many. I can't picture Bob <laughs> Hoskins sitting there with a game controller in his hands. Um, but yeah, I do think it's the other thing like that he took that he just did odd jobs in his free time as a plumber to learn more so by the late 90s we get the nintendo 64 which was huge for me this is when i was around uh, nine or ten years old so um this is all the games these are all the games that i know the most for mario we get super mario 64 which is the first 3d mario we get Mario Kart 64, we get Mario Tennis, we get Mario Party, we get Super Smash Brothers. So these are all kind of iconic Mario properties and uh, that all established themselves as different games all featuring Mario that have continued to this day, right? Yeah, and this is when we're getting into the fun stuff where they're like taking the concept of Mario and it's already so bonkers to begin. Like, we've already talked about just the origin of it as already crazy and that it's unconventional and weird and not anything you'd expect. 
But this is this is when they take that and they're like, well, I, I guarantee you wouldn't expect him to be driving a go kart <laughs> for fun with uh, and throwing banana peels at Bowser, who's also driving a go kart. Yeah, like in one in <laughs> in one game, Bowser is kidnapping Princess Peach and and trying to kill Mario. In another game, they're like tennis partners and playing doubles. So here's the thing, Conrado, how familiar are you with the sort of meta universe of the Mario characters and the Mushroom Kingdom. This sounds like something that's completely lewd territory, so please educate me. So, Gunrado, ever since ever since Mario Brothers 3, it has become apparent, and I believe Shigeru Miyamoto has officially confirmed this, but it's become apparent that Mario and Bowser and the Princess and the Koopas and the Goombas they're not really enemies. They're not really fighting this big ongoing war that keeps recirculating every every few years. And, you know, they're just in a, a cosmic cycle of strife and, and constant battle like they're in Valhalla. It is not that, Conrado. It's all a play. It's all friends getting together to put on a production. And... The evidence of that is Super Mario Three uh, for the for the NES, because have you have you played that game? Are you familiar with that game specifically? I think I've played most of those games, but they blend in together because they had all been released by the time I played them. So I played them like all in one afternoon. It's the first one where you get the Tanuki suit, where you have the tail and you can fly with the Tanuki suit. And okay, I remember that. Uh, it has like a, a shoe is one of the powers. <laughs> you get into a shoe and you just like jump around as a shoe and it lets you walk on spikes basically. But um, the the game literally starts with a red curtain being raised. All of the platforms that you're standing on and jumping on in the game itself have bolts in each corner. Like they're bolted onto a, a, back, a, a background, like a set. And whenever you beat a stage, it's like you're running off stage the way that they depict it. Like the whole game, the whole game level is in full color. But then you walk past this sort of jagged edge where the red curtain was and everything's in sort of like silhouette or shadow or black and white. And Mm. so it's all like. It's so weird because it's like the game introduces this concept that you're playing this stage play of Mario versus Bowser on a quest to rescue the princess. And it ends with you defeating Bowser and rescuing her. And she thanks you. And then it goes through like a whole highlight reel of everything you've accomplished throughout the game. But Mm -hmm. once, once that is introduced into the mushroom kingdom reality, and then they're playing uh, golf and they're playing tennis with each other. And, you know, like they're they're driving go karts right. and stuff, and in in some of these some of these sports games are like team games. So you'll have Mario and Bowser on the same soccer team. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not these are not mortal enemies. They're not. This is not uh, Winston Churchill <laughs> and Joseph Stalin. Right. This is more like yeah, exactly. This is like you know. Um, uh, I don't know, Daniel Craig and Javier Bardem are shooting Skyfall, but then they go play golf on the, on the weekend, yeah. you know? Like, it's it's uh, interesting. I hadn't heard of this, but I, I guess it makes sense if you gotta make sense of it. Um, and it makes sense why they're interacting all these sports and having parties. Mm-hmm. Literally parties, yeah. 
Yeah. Reminds me also of the Muppets, how the first Muppet movie starts with them watching the movie that they're making, implying that the movie that we're going to see, it's not the actual origin of the Muppets, but just kind of like their own retelling of the origin. Yep. Um, the second Mario game, it's literally all a dream. You find out at the end, the whole entire game, he wakes up and it was all a dream. Oh, wow. Okay, so they've so, so they've been playing with that stuff from the beginning. I guess they just knew that Mario was going to be a big character. He probably was already a big character for them by the time they make the second, third game. So they want to keep using him and, and in all kinds of iterations. Because Mario, we mentioned all these games, Mario Kart, Mario Tennis, but there's also even more games with Mario that we didn't get in the US or in other countries. There's like educational Mario games. There's a game called... Mario teaches typing, mm -hmm. for example, and, and things like that. So they're clearly using him and, and they adopted him as a mascot for the company pretty early on. Yep. There was for the Super Nintendo, Mario is Missing, which was meant to be educational about history and geography. There is Mario Paint, uh, which was actually kind of fun and, and teaches you a little bit to be creative. Um Yeah, I didn't know about Mario teaches typing, but but doesn't surprise me that Mario just pops up in all of these places. Like he's a referee in some sports games, like where that are not Mario themed. Mario is just the referee of that game. Um, so yeah, yeah it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that he pops up in all these random places. But it's bizarre when you stop to think about well, why would Mario be taking time out of his schedule to do this though? <laughs> right, unless he is a highly paid star at, at Nintendo Studios or something. He's the Mickey Mouse of Nintendo, uh, you know? Yes. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting comparison. As far, as far as mascots are concerned, he seems to me like he has much more of a personality than, than Mickey Mouse. And it's, um, I don't know, he feels like edgier or something. Because, maybe because he's on all these games where he's like punching people or, or and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know Mickey Mouse in his early shorts was kind of a rascal comedic figure and then as they realized that he was going to be the mascot for Walt Disney they turned him into a character who's always just kind of like greeting you at the door at Disneyland but has no personality they doesn't really get into adventures or anything like that yeah that's a good point there's a lot of a lot of times the the protagonist of something You, with movies, this happens a lot, but especially with video games where you're literally controlling the character, they try to make the main character such a blank slate that often they're the least interesting character in all of the fiction. But with Mario, mm -hmm. yeah, that's really not true because we know what Mario's likes and dislikes are. He, uh, we know that you know he he likes to eat cake and he's he is ge he generally has a happy disposition. And <laughs> Um, he's not, yeah, he's not boring. He's not, uh, devoid of personality in the way that some other blank slate style characters are. I think the design does a lot as well, just because you see this short little guy with a mustache, with the overalls, he has the plumber kind of vibe. He already feels, it already feels strange. Like we were saying before, to begin with that you're playing as this character. Especially because he's in this mushroom kingdom or, or in these situations that have nothing to do with, like, some Brooklyn plumber guy. Mm -hmm. So, and already 
he's little, so it gives you the sense that he has a chip on his shoulder, and and you know he's kind of like he's going into adventures, and and he's an underdog. So I don't know. There's like you bring a lot to it just by the way he's designed. Yeah, and it's um, it is a unique design. It's like the overalls, the mustache. Um, you mentioned that those were just because of the limitations. They wanted to make him stand out or look more animated when he's running. Um, but it does, it, it, it's sort of like, it's one of those things where like when you're creating a character, or you're writing a story, you, you introduce certain elements and in a way it paints you into a corner, but it, but it also makes you be creative and make more decisions based on that first decision. So once Mario's wearing coveralls, now it's like, okay, well, why, what, what kind of person wears coveralls? What kind of worker, um... And then I think that's what led to him being in this world because he he went into a pipe. So, like, the whole pipes element, now those show up all over the place in the Mushroom Kingdom, so that adds to the design element. And it's, like, this weird evolution of ideas that, that just stems from this one decision, that a technical decision that had to be made. Um, and it's, man, yeah, it's so... It's crazy how instantly recognizable Mario is just by the color scheme and and the outfit and the mustache the mustache itself you can you could just plant a mustache on something else and people will say that's a Mario mustache hmm. right yeah I guess so you didn't even mention the most famous uh the most successful I should say Mario movie which is which is wreck it wreck it Ralph <laughs> oh right what he's like in maybe five seconds of it Right. Uh, I don't know. Bowser certainly shows up. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where they're um, they're having like the bad guys right. uh, like rehab, sort of like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> meeting, and Bowser is there. But if, if Mario does show up, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't remember it. It's just the fact that Wreck It Ralph is mm-hmm. absolutely Mario. Um, well, he's Donkey Kong. So so. Right, it's based on the original Donkey Kong. Right, so right. The Mario analog is the is the what's the name of the guy? Uh, it's man, it's Kenneth from Thirty Rock. What? Fix it, Felix. Fix it, Felix. Yeah, so that's the is. Mario analog, and I think Mario. Right, so it's the Mario story. Um, Mario, I think uh, he appears briefly in the movie as a just as a little cameo. I think because of the that kind of roger rabbit thing where the rights they had to be cleared and nintendo is probably very protective of mario himself um you know that's why in who framed roger rabbit mickey mouse and bucks bunny only appear very briefly and at the same time that was kind of the deal that they struck was warner brothers said we will give you bucks bunny but he has to be on screen every single frame that mickey mouse is on screen oh man and that's why they had that that that's why uh, they shared that scene yeah when he's falling in the parachute um, in Toontown, yeah, and that's such a good good use of those two characters. Also, I feel like they they it was it the same decision with Daffy Duck and Donald Duck because the scene where they're doing like the dueling pianos in the bar, in the club is is again a perfect use of the characters, um, and it kind of makes sense that like it would come out of that limitation that like studio demand. Yeah, that scene is great with the piano with the fighting pianos. That's that's such a great scene. Mm-hmm. That's such a great movie in general. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph, I didn't realize until you said that. Like, it is very much Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it's got that vibe because, you know, they got to play with all these video game characters. So, which is a good concept for a movie. 
Yeah. I'm actually, I, uh, in the time that we got um, disconnected there, I looked it up real quick. Nintendo was charging way too much for the licensing fee for Mario, so they couldn't get Mario. Oh, that makes sense. It's it's funny that they were like, well, you can have Bowser, but if you want Mario, that's going to be, I don't know how many more dollars. That's going to cost you a little extra. I think we uh, need to start wrapping up pretty soon, but why don't we talk a little bit about what are some of your favorite Mario games? Uh, yes, so we mentioned Mario Kart. Um, all, all versions of Mario Kart. Every time they make a Mario Kart at this point, it's just a, a huge improvement on the last one. They just keep perfecting the formula. So I think that is... It's one of the games that I... I, I bought a Nintendo Switch when it first came out, and... I've probably had it for like five or six years at this point. Mario Kart is still the game that I play the most on on that system. Um, mm-hmm. There have been times where like I've just for months only played Mario Kart and not not any other game on that system. So it's like my Mario Kart system, and I have to. I always <laughs> have to have the ability to play Mario Kart. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I love Mario Kart, and it is. Similar situation. It is Gamal's uh, Switch, but the only game that I play is Mario Kart, and mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's just a perfect game. It's it's so uh, well done, and I agree with you that every single version of it, at least that I've played, has improved on the last. The Mario Kart on the Switch is, I think, Mario Kart 8. Mm-hmm. Incredible. It's one of the best video games I've ever played. I mean... With the caveat that I don't really play a lot of video games, but I think this is a great game. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, but once you discover Mario Kart, like you're you're comparing every other video game to it, and if you're not having as much fun, what's the point? Um, I, like I I want a PS5, but I don't need a PS5. I'm not clamoring to get a PS5. Uh, I wasn't super excited when it was coming out, but the moment that Nintendo tells me we're releasing. <laughs> game system and it's going to have a new Mario Kart game on it I have to have it mm-hmm. um, it's the only kind of thing like that where I have to have it when it comes out almost everything else I'm not a huge early adopter like I don't need the new iPhone when it comes out I can have the same iPhone for five years I don't need the new whatever technology but the new Nintendo system the new Mario Kart game <laughs> gotta have it Mario Kart is also the perfect game for what we were talking about before, group play and like playing with other people. I mean, Mario Party is fun. I like Mario Tennis and Smash Bros. is also fun to play with other people. But there's something about Mario Kart. I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's the speed of it and, and the racing element that it's just so good to play with people and people get really into it. And there's like, you know, there's screaming and there's hollering and it's a lot of fun. Do you know what it is, Conrado? Because I, I like whenever I uh, will right now, obviously, and for the past year, it's been uh, impossible to have g- gatherings and parties and whatever. <laughs> um, but when I used to be able to do that, I love like having a bunch of people over and just having Mario Kart out. Like people can choose to play it if they want to. It's just going to be there. It's an option. It's one of the things that we can all do for fun at some point if we want to. Um, mm-hmm. And usually it has a big draw when when people start playing it. Um, the difference between Mario Kart and I, I love Smash Brothers. We didn't really talk about it much, but um, but Smash Brothers features Mario. It features Luigi. It features a few other Mario characters, and of course Mario. Just to like focus on Mario, Mario is going to be the most like 
average middle of the road fighter. Like he, he doesn't mm-hmm. excel in one major thing or the other. Yeah. Um, the difference between that game though and Mario Kart is the blue shell. There's nothing like a blue shell in Smash Brothers. If somebody is un so good at the game that they're unbalanced compared to everybody else, they're just gonna win every time, and feelings are gonna be hurt. With Mario Kart, though, you can have one person that's like like demolishing everyone else. Just so much, such a better racer at the game. But if you pick up a blue shell, you're gonna stop that guy. <laughs> you know, and, and he and you cannot get away from the blue shell. You are yep. you are so right about that. That is so true about Mario Kart. It is, yeah, and it is great at um, in the later games, especially at giving you different power ups depending on where on the race you are if you're falling behind you get better power-ups which can be frustrating when you're in the front but it's also it makes it very interactive when you're playing with other people yeah it's a good and it's you know what it's a good model for society if you're falling behind (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) you you should get these things that help you get ahead but once you're ahead you don't need those advantages anymore so you just Mm -hmm. start getting banana peels and green shells yeah, if you're running first, maybe you don't need a blue shell. Actually, there's no reason for you to get a blue shell if exactly. you're at the front. I just want to, before we close, I just want to mention my personal favorite Mario World character, mm. which is the one and only Waluigi. Yes! Waluigi! Waluigi. I, just the fact that he's called <laughs> Waluigi is my favorite. When I first heard about this guy... And I know there was Wario, which is Mario, evil Mario kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, you know, a, a W is an M upside down, Wario, Mario. I know that Wa is the Japanese uh, word for kind of, I think, bad. Warui, uh, Warui specifically is, and, yeah. And it means bad mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Right. So it makes perfect sense. But Waluigi incredible yep. <laughs> that's just like we are doing mario tennis we need someone to partner up with wario when they do doubles i don't know well luigi make him purple Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> he's so yeah he's oh my god he's so much fun he's so ridiculous do you have any other do you have any favorite characters or do you want to talk more about will luigi it's once you bring up Waluigi, I can't think past him. He's so, he's so <laughs> ridiculous. And yeah, I, I can't, I, I honestly, I can't think of a character that I love more than Waluigi because of, they just, they pointed, they did the Babe Ruth thing. They were like, we're creating a new character. They pointed for the fences. They swung for the fences and they had a home run. It's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we, who do you usually play as? Um, like in Mario Kart or Smash Brothers or... Mm-hmm. Well, in Mario Kart, I guess, or Mario Party, Tennis, Kart, you know, the ones that are only Mario. This is, a very, this is a very good question. If they're like Mario, Mario-centric specifically, because uh, I don't really play as, as any of the Mario characters in Smash Brothers. Um, mm-hmm. I like them, they're fine, but I don't really choose them. Um, in Mario Kart, Wendy Koopa. 100%. Oh, Wendy nice. Koopa. Uh, she just has... She's... She's got the big hoop earrings. She just makes me think of Rosie Perez in the 90s. Um, and I yeah. just love her. Uh, and she, yeah, she, I, I just like her taunts and stuff. Um, her color scheme. I just like Wendy Koopa a lot. And <laughs> she's one of the small characters, which mm-hmm. as as many, as you know, as anybody who's played Mario Kart knows, there's the balance of your acceleration versus your top speed. 
And mm-hmm. my my philosophy is uh, when you're playing Mario Kart, you're going to get bombarded with you're going to get hit all the time, no matter how good you are at the game. So mm-hmm. what you need is that recovery, that fast acceleration once yep. you get hit to get out of it. Yes, couldn't agree more. 100%. That's, yeah, that's what makes uh, Waluigi, it's my favorite character, but it also makes it a little tricky because he is not the lightest, the smallest character. Yeah, who, who, do, who do you usually play as? Well, as Waluigi. Okay. I try to, sometimes I try someone else, but I've gotten pretty good at playing Waluigi, picking the right car to make it work. See, that's so interesting that like you would, because uh, I, I would I would probably choose Wendy Koopa if they, even if they changed her whole stats because she's Wendy. You know, like the the fact that you mm-hmm. have a favorite character, and it doesn't matter yeah. what their play style is. You're you can learn that play style. It's the fondness for the character that makes you want to play as them. Absolutely, I must be loyal to my capo, and my capo is Waluigi. My capo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I think we need to wrap up. Thank you so much for being on the show, Lou. I had a great time. Would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you and your amazing work? Um, yeah, absolutely. I should have had this ready to go. My listeners can find me on Twitter at, here we go. Um, they can find me at Twitter at VS Robots or Instagram at Robos V Dinos. Uh, or you can check out my website, robotsversusdinosaurs.org, where you can listen to every episode of Robots vs. Dinosaurs, or you can download it on any podcast app. Mm-hmm. All of that information will be in the show description. I highly recommend listening to Robots vs. Dinosaurs. It is a very, very fun show, talking about some great movies, some bad movies, but always making it fun and exciting. And what I love about it, Lou, is that you always uh, come in very excited to talk about the movie and very excited to try to find something good about the movie, no matter what movie it is. So I really appreciate that. Um at some point, I assume you gotta make, do Super Mario Bros. the movie on robots versus dinosaurs. There's a lot of dinosaurs in it. I've been getting I've been getting a lot of requests for it. It's uh, it's something the listeners want. It's something I definitely want to cover the movie. It, it's chock full of dinosaurs. Um, definitely has robots. At least the one that comes to mind is the Babam. So mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be a good one when we get to it. Um, right now, I am covering week weekly i'm doing weekly coverage of wandavision so once that wraps up in a couple of weeks i think i'll go uh, go back to my regular movie coverage and mario brothers i don't i don't have an exact date yet but let's just say it is on its way fantastic and that's our show Thanks again to Lou for coming on to talk about the one and only Mario Mario. If you enjoyed our conversation, you should check out Lou's podcast, Robots vs. Dinosaurs, where you will find a lot of fun, nerdy talk about sci-fi movies. Do you have any thoughts, questions, or comments about the show? Please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at CocoHitsNY or at any of the links in the show description. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find more listeners. But more importantly, why don't you tell someone about it? After all, word of mouth is the best way to support an independent creative endeavor such as this one. Thanks again for listening, and make sure to come back next week 
when we'll be talking about Australian pop diva Kylie Minogue. At this point, I don't need to tell you to stick around for after the music. You know how this goes, don't you? Don't worry about Bowser or DK. Just eat this glowing mushroom and they'll all fade away. And the finish line is just around the bend. I'll pause this game so our love will never end. It's just around the bend I'll pause this game So our love will never end Let's go again To the mushroom cup And the flower cup And the star cup And the reverse cup So, Lou, what have you been watching lately? Um, WandaVision has been, like, the number one thing that I'm watching lately. It's it's kind of made... F- it's tailor-made for TV junkies because... I don't know if you know the con- the basic concept of it is, is every episode... Uh, this is... Well, this is not entirely true, but almost every episode plays with another another decade of sitcom tropes. So it started hmm. out in the 1950s, then the 60s. And so at first it was like Dick Van Dyke show. Um, and then it kind of went into like Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, uh, the, the Brady Bunch. And then uh, they did a whole Growing Pain slash Full House kind of episode. And like a like a very special episode kind of thing that's literally what it was called on a very special episode oh no kidding yeah (laughs) and that's another thing is like all of the titles of the episodes are like that like uh um the last one was uh uh i want to get it right because it was oh an all new halloween spooktacular and it's the halloween episode nice um that one was styled in the 90s and mainly from the show malcolm in the middle so they and they do mm. it every from everything down to the the intro song will be in that style and all the the way they do the intro like whether it's animated or with like photos of the family at different stages of life or right. uh, for Malcolm in the Middle it was like a like a home camera and one of the kids running around in fast forward motion with the camera on them and then they they go into the show and like there's always a commercial break where it's in that in sort of the style that you would see of that era um but also little things like like in the 90s one it was the when they did malcolm in the middle it was the first time the characters addressed they did the ferris bueller thing where they addressed the audience directly breaking the fourth wall um Mm. one thing they haven't done yet that i think is coming up hopefully uh is the sort of documentary style of like the office or modern family i in the way they're doing things chronologically, um, I think that's what they're leading up into. Yeah, yeah, that has to be coming up next. Um, so, so basically, this is a show. Um, I, uh, I'm not caught up with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, what I, but I hear that everyone's watching this show and talking about it. Um, my impression is that this is a show that it's about the, 
Scarlet Witch and Vision kind of living in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a comedy or is or is there do they fight bad guys? There's a lot of comedy in it. It's uh, I, I Conrado. I couldn't possibly tell you if like you need to know about the MCU to watch the show. I'm so close to it, and like I have so much reverence for it that I'm definitely super biased. And I think that there, uh, I, I think that you could because I think that the way they do it is every episode is like a sitcom, and there's sitcom jokes. But now they're reaching a point where they're starting to peel back the layers a little bit and, sh- and reveal what's really going on and the sinister plot mm-hmm. behind everything and the explanation for why the format of the show is the bizarre way that it is. So all of the things that are fun are starting to become less fun and more scary, but that's, mm-hmm. but that's the fun of the progression of the show. So it's like, there, I think there's less and less comedy at this point, but... When there is comedy, it's still funny, but it's also ominous. If that makes any sense. No, yeah, I can, I can, I can totally picture that. I, I assume that it's gonna be one of those things of like the the happy suburb families hiding behind. You know, there's some darkness underneath. Yeah. Um, it also seems to me that it's kind of a mix. Um, back when I was more into comics and stuff, I remember there was um there was a Vision comic in which he moved to the suburbs and had a family but it was not with the scarlet witch right it was i think with kind of like some robots that he made yeah he made like a synthesoid family basically there you go and then but then there what i did read i didn't read that vision comic but i did read back in the day this um house of m where scarlet witch kind of like goes cuckoo bananas and creates these alternate realities so my impression is that this show is kind of mixing those two and we're probably going to see, like, she, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Vision die at the end of one of the Avengers movies? He sure did. He died twice, actually. <laughs> uh, poor bastard. Yeah, within the, within the span of, well, to him, it was within the same exact moment because the time stone was involved. But movie-wise, he dies, and then 15 seconds later, we watch him die again in the same horrible way. <laughs> eh, hate when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just can't, I can't um, praise the writers of the show enough because it is, I think it is combining storylines from both of those things, the Vision comic and the House of M storyline, but also, like, Dick Van Dyke himself was a was an artistic consultant that they hired on the show, and I can't tell you as a, as a Nick, at Night, Nick at Night junkie um, that I was as a kid how accurate it all is, like, the way they do jokes this the style of acting itself they have like a live apparently they actually had a live studio audience for some of the for, yeah. for like for some of the recording <laughs> um yeah it's just such a weird combination of things that somehow works mm-hmm. all together so let's maybe let's talk about sitcoms a little bit because mm. i haven't seen much marvel stuff but i do have a lot of thoughts about sitcoms what are some of your favorites um, some of my favorites are I Love Lucy and Okay. Uh I because now I'm like really thinking of some of the classic sitcoms I was into, like Taxi with um Christopher mm. Lloyd and Danny DeVito. Taxi is uh, such a great sitcom mm-hmm. and not a lot of people talk about it. 
I, when I was a kid, it was just on on some random cable channel in the afternoons that sh- only showed like older shows, mm-hmm. and and I watched it and I was like, what is this show? Like this is so good and nobody has ever heard of it or talked about it. I mean, it was more popular in America than it was in South America, but you know, um, it was such a great show, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a low concept like blue collar show too. You'd think. You'd think it would have more copycats. You'd think there'd be more shows that are like, oh, this is obviously in the style of Taxi, or this is obviously copying Taxi in a way. But there, I, I, I can't think of many that, that, that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Brooklyn Nine Nine is almost like, like a. I, I, I feel like the writers of that show probably are influenced by taxi in a way because just from like the clever situations and the dialogue that you see and like the way people the way the characters really make fun of each other a lot and then they're not afraid right. to show that and do that mm-hmm. yeah i know that some of the creators of taxi went on to do cheers mm-hmm. which i feel has also a little bit of that vibe of like hanging out at this place and being a little bit like uh, it's very funny, but I feel like there's like this undertone of um, kind of melancholy or sadness because, you know, Cheers set at a bar, which is kind of like a fun place, but it's also, it can be a little bit of a sad place, mm-hmm. depending. And uh, in Taxi, it's kind of all these people who are working as taxi cab drivers, but they all kind of want to have other careers. Um, you know, one of them wants to be a boxer, one of them wants to be an actor, so that's also a little bit... Um, kind of like a sad undercurrent there yeah is taxi where your love for danny devito comes from i think it is it's it's that show and uh his performance as the penguin in batman returns oh of course yeah which i which i think to this day is the best i think it's the best batman movie and i think danny devito is the best batman villain uh, prop, props to to Heath Ledger and the Joker. Brilliant performance. I'm not taking anything away from him, but go back and watch Batman Returns, and De- Devito's doing so much. It's it's amazing. Devito's certainly doing a lot. The the moment <laughs> where he like bites this person's uh, nose off, I it was pretty scary <laughs> as a kid. That whole movie was very scarring as a kid, to be honest. Yeah. I was kind of a little bit afraid of it. I tended to watch um, the other Batmans, the Schumacher, Forever and Batman and Robin more because they were more, you know, colorful and silly. Yeah. And they were kind of like the TV show, which was on at the time, the 60s, you know, sitcom version. Yeah, those are um, a lot. Whereas Batman Returns, stark. Those are a lot more like a live action cartoon, the Schumacher ones. Batman Returns totally is dark. It, Batman straps a bomb to a guy's chest and sort of like like Bugs Bunny's <laughs> kind of like winks at him like just before sending him <laughs> over the edge of, of a cliff or something and the guy blows up. He and kills so many people. He kills so many people. When people I remember when there was this whole discussion during the bat, the Christopher Nolan Batman era when Batman was becoming super popular again, like after a, a brief hiatus of Batman being the biggest thing ever. Um, and I remember people talking about like, oh yeah, Batman doesn't kill, Batman doesn't use guns, Batman does, has this one rule. I kept hearing that this one, Batman has that one rule. And I'm like, what rule are you talking about? Watch Batman Returns real quick and talk to me about Batman's one rule. <laughs> 
In Batman, that's what I... So one thing that I really like about those Tim Burton movies is that Batman is a total psycho. And Bruce Wayne is a psycho. And he's just a weird dude who, like, you know, he likes dressing up as a bat and he's going (laughs) to go to some crazy shit. Um, I got to say before we wrap up this conversation that I got to stand up for... I love DeVito in Returns, but to me, the best Batman villain is Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. I think she's so good as Catwoman. I mean, you're you're pulling from the same well because that movie it also has an understated villain in um, uh, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, yeah, yeah as Max Shrek. Max Shrek, that's right. Um, but yes, no, Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, it's great. They, it's amazing how they managed to do the whole origin story of her character so succinctly and so it's so bizarre and silly, but it works in the world of that movie so well and she plays it pitch perfect so that's mm-hmm. that's a tough contender that's a good a good pick and and a storyline or kind of like a situation that's been recycled a lot like you know the last wonder woman movie the Kristen wick character it's basically the same thing and obviously not done as well i wish i almost wish that the Kristen wig cheetah that they had leaned more into into like flagrantly copying <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer because then it I don't know then it might have been it, it needed some work let's just I, I want to be kind to that because I enjoyed it mm-hmm. I, I know that it was bad but I enjoyed it so I want to be kind to it but it needed I'll say it needed work it needed another draft it needed it needed more S&M shit is what you're saying totally we need like some leather suits some whips you know that's the kind of catwoman that I want oh yeah um one last question. Okay. Are we looking forward to the Snyder Cut? Yeah. Yeah. J- just, yeah. Because you know what? Um, I liked Ezra... Ezra... Um, I almost said Ezra Bridger. Ezra Miller? Ezra Miller? Ezra Miller. Um, Ezra Bridger is a Star Wars character. <laughs> um, uh, man, Ezra Miller. Yeah, he was really good as The Flash. Um, obviously, Jason Momoa is a great Aquaman. And... I don't think that those are the things that there are more of in the Snyder Cut, unfortunately, but um, but I'm willing to revisit the movie and give it a, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a chance and see if this is the apocalypse now of, you know, this, this is what they were going for. Um, what's, what's, the, what's that other movie that, like, there's, like, three major, two or three, like... Right, m- well, there's Apocalypse Now, Redux, there is, well, there's Blade Runner, Blade which Runner. has, like, five different cuts. That's the other one I was thinking of, yeah. Like, if this is the Blade Runner of the DC universe. Yeah. Um, you know, Zack Snyder, not my favorite director in many ways, but also Batman v Superman, I thought was, like, seeing into the mind of a madman. Mm-hmm. I was like, this dude is insane, and he's got some opinions that I don't share, <laughs> and a worldview that I don't share, but this is kind of like the work of an artist, you know? And so I'm excited to see kind of like the craziness that comes. Yeah, I for that same reason, I want to see the Shane Black cut of Predator, the, the, the new Predator, mm. because... Again, I liked it. It was it was fun. Olivia Munn especially does not get enough credit for all the weight she was pulling in that movie, um, and how funny she is. But if I I've heard that there is a a cut uh, a Shane Black like cut of the movie that um, got pulled away from him and he couldn't release, and he's kind of upset about mm-hmm. it because he he you know in his opinion they 
completely de Shane Blacked his movie. Why? Why would you get Shane Black, who has such a specific kind of vibe, to do your movie if you're not do do not want that? I, I, that's such a good question. <laughs> that's Hollywood for you, I guess. 